0: Green Teacher's main office is located on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga peoples. This territory is covered by the Williams Treaty.
1: And it's a beautiful thing when you have these diverse perspectives coming together. You learn so much from each other, even if you're doing something you think you already know something about.
2: Rediscover or discover that relationship-based feeling that they have with the land, the water, the animals, the sky around them.
1: Because I think in keeping with the spirit of LEAF, leaving it really elective and letting people come to it when they're ready, when they're curious, we keep ourselves in that position to continue to support this.
0: Testing, testing. Hey, I'm Ian.
3: And I'm Sophia.
0: And welcome to Talking with Green Teachers.
3: This is the Environmental Education Podcast, where we discuss recent developments, big ideas, and creative approaches to teaching green. In this episode...
2: But when she got in there, Lori and I got to witness a transformation that happened before our eyes. And that was this young woman just immediately... She was attracted to the drum and to the process of making it, and she connected with the materials, and she learned about the the materials, the wood, the hide of the elk, the sinew, and it brought forth so something that I. That I-
3: Komo is located on the unceded territory of the Musqueam people and within the city limits of what is now known as Vancouver. 300 meters of boardwalk winds through this unique habitat, making it an ideal site for class trips. Chad Carpenter and Lori York of the Vancouver School Board have collaborated on several visits to Comox Simbag with their learners. They joined Ian to discuss the concept of two-eyed seeing the core components of the LEAF framework and the First People's Principles of Learning.
0: For those who are unfamiliar with Two-Eyed Seeing, what are its core components?
1: So Two-Eyed Seeing is, it's attributed to Elder Albert Marshall, Mi'kmaq Elder from the Eskasoni First Nation. And the basic components of Two-Eyed Seeing are that what you're doing when you are examining something is you're trying to look at it from two lenses so if you think of it as like a set of goggles it's like one lens would be western epistemology or western traditional knowledges um the way we look at things and examine things in a traditional schooling setting and the other lens in the glasses would be looking at it through um indigenous knowledges indigenous ways of knowing and being And the idea there is that you're pulling back so that both perspectives can be valued equally and that they're included. And the idea is that we start in schools to weave the two together as though they're both equally valued. I mean, we know that historically that's not the case. And also in certain contexts, certain contexts might dictate looking at things through one lens. Or the other, sure. But this idea of building building that consciousness that there are multiple ways of looking at things and multiple different types of knowledge systems, and that the one's not necessarily more valuable than the other.
0: Anything you want to add on top of that, Chad?
2: Yeah, I, I really I, I I agree with what with, with what Lori's saying is that really I think having our learners or having people um, understand. And for me, coming from an indigenous perspective, as an indigenous person, um, really um, making sure that our ways of knowing and being—and um, when I say our our traditional ways of knowing and being, like that collective that many of our diverse indigenous elders or communities or um, people that that we share, such as relationship-based, um, a collective, um, collective-based—and really having that connection to a place or the land and making sure that our children as they as they're coming up through the education system um really really understand that we for thousands of years we didn't just survive on the land we thrived and and that out the outdoors that that lens that we look through is that the um our environment was the greatest teacher that we had um, and that that needs to really hold a lot of value but also respecting the fact that um, in this Western society we do have to have um, this education, this academic education in order to be successful or or make a living in, in this society, right? So I really, I, the, looking at it through those two lenses, um, weaving those two lenses, I think it's important for, for everybody.
0: I'm imagining a Venn diagram. I probably made about a million of those when, when I was going through school. And I think one of the more interesting parts of a Venn diagram is where the two entities overlap. And where does the most overlap occur between the Western lens and the indigenous lens?
2: I think that, that overlap can really occur when we bring in um elders or we bring in knowledge keepers or we bring our children out and educate them in the environment and we can you can incorporate math, you can incorporate science into into the environment. If you we if we if you bring the kids out into the forest or an urban um garden setting, you can really um you can incorporate some of these academic teachings into the place based teachings and when we bring knowledge keepers and elders out they really tie that together with how um science, how you how scientific you can get or math and ma- how how you can incorporate math and science into the um into the teachings outdoor teachings
1: I agree. I'm so glad that you said that, Chad, because for me, the place where the Indigenous knowledges and the Western knowledges overlap in Ian's Venn diagram, it's on the land that we all share. The land holds us all. And and this is a key piece, like, you know, from a very, I'm a non-Indigenous, you know, Western uh, teacher, third generation settler Canadian, right? So, and I'm a trained environmental educator, and I understand that the land is also a, that transdisciplinary place hmm. where all the subjects are woven together. But the land is also this like beautiful, diverse, multi perspectival place, right? It's a place where, where we can all hold our points of view without any judgment and um, speak them, see them, and share them in place. And so it's doing that place based learning and if you can have facilitation from an elder that has that uh, beautiful woven together knowledge which the historical education system likes to pick it apart and put it into its disciplines but we all know that when you go out on the land and you're working in the environment or even in a community in a real world. It's not siloed into its subject areas. So, it's in that interdisciplinary place on the land where I see the overlap between Western and Indigenous epistemologies really happening in the real world.
0: This notion of the land being a place where different perspectives can mingle, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but have you seen that happen in real time?
2: Yeah, um, I'll say I, I, yes, most definitely. Um, and Laurie. I will, I will say something, Lori has been very, um, she's been a very instrumental teacher for me in a lot of ways in regards to um, connecting with land and understanding relationship to land from her perspective. Um, and I don't want to label it as a non-Indigenous perspective, but she really, and I'll, I'll, I'll use the, uh, the example of Camosin Bog here in Vancouver, I've had the privilege to go with with Lori and and a classroom, and to really have the students learn and understand the various plants, the trees, and their roles within the within that environment, and how they all interconnect with each other to create that beautiful ecosystem. And it the the children when they're out there on the land and they're learning through that through through Lori's lens and my lens, it's very experiential, and it, it it actually creates embedded learning memory into these into these kids. Um, whether it's overt, whether it's now, or whether they're going for a walk two weeks or a month later with a family member, that's where that those teachings really come in, and that they make that very very important connection to how important the land is, to not just to our indigenous peoples, but to everybody. And so that's the beauty that I um, that that I get to kind of experience when we do when 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 we do those teachings, when it when it's in action.
1: Yeah, I was thinking of the same example, Chad, when when uh, Tracy Healy is an indigenous educator in our district and Chad brought her into work with my class because we wanted to do some work around uh, the healing properties of indigenous plants in the area. Yes. yeah. And so Three of us led this walk together and Tracy would share her knowledge and I, I have a background actually of leading um, outdoor interpretive walks and part of my training was um, you know indigenous plant uses but I'm not indigenous and so I didn't really know where the knowledge that I had to lead that came from so later on I realized oh maybe that's co-opted indigenous knowledge maybe that's not mine to share So I had reached out to Chad and Tracy, Chad, and I all did this collaborative walk together. And when Tracy bumped up against the edges of her knowing like she didn't know what the sphagnum moss was for, I'd say, was it all right if I share, you know, what my understanding is that Musqueam people use the sphagnum moss, you know, for its antibacterial you know wound dressings and and other things and tracy said wow that's really cool we're all learning from each other today and then chad's sharing his anecdotal experience with uh wrapping food in skunk cabbage leaves and steaming it in a pit and food and all three of us are sharing these stories with the students and i know how to read the landscape from my experience outdoors and i'm talking about logging and the history and how when you see the notches on the large stumps of these Um, old trees you can tell when this all happened you know and tracy's saying well we look at these stumps as our our grandmothers and grandfathers and and this makes me as an indigenous person feel really sad and i'm thinking okay like i'm having a totally different experience at this place while i feel like these stumps are to be honored and it feels like a reverent place or a graveyard or something my history or my knowledges are different. And so by walking, like my students having the opportunity to walk through the space with Tracy, Chad, myself, all of us all sharing the stories from different points of view, it was just such a cool walk, right? And and it's such a it's a place that's connected to our local school. And so we go there all the time. actually, Chad and I've done many walks through there just talking share uh-huh. understanding of place and just connecting as two professionals, like planning things together. And so, yeah, we've experienced that sharing of knowledges in real time many times, but it was very powerful and very obvious to all three of us as educators on this on this walk, this field experience we did for my students last year was great. And may I ask,
2: what are your thoughts on, what, I'll just quickly ask, what are your thoughts on sharing how how we really actually put that into action when it comes to, um, again, that lens, maybe through the lens of um, reconciliation? Um, is that something I could touch up on quickly?
0: Absolutely, yeah.
2: So I, I teamed up with um, I teamed up with Laurie and Tracy again, which her, what Laurie and I did was we we actually took we took classes out on on plant walks, we call them. And we we educated these children um, or these, these students, I should say, sorry, on um, the medicinal healing qualities, not just physical, but also mental, spiritual qualities of these um, the plants and the trees. And what we did was um we actually brought samples back. We harvested some of these plants and trees, and we brought them back to the school to Lori's ceramic class. And what we did was we imprinted um we imprinted these leaves, these um, leaves and these plants onto um, clay medallions, and then we turned them into essentially ceramic um, medallions. And they were touched up. They added um, different, I think, colors to them and in essence what we what we did was we created and then this is where this is where it was really beautiful is that we asked the students to put like to put some compassion and love into these little medallions that were made and what we and what we the purpose of this was we um we were going to gift these as part of a medicine box to residential school survivors we also with laurie and tracy we also created cottonwood selves where Lori and Tracy harvested cottonwood seeds at the right time of year and then brought them to the school. And the students were able to, I believe using um an oil, the cottonwood seeds that had been sitting in the oil for several months. We basically um, heated them up, added beeswax, and we made these very healing cells that I think Lori can kind of touch up on more as, as to, and, and we all, we made a whole bunch of those for residential school survivors. And this was in the context of making a, um, a traditional cedar bentwood healing box. And so this was like, this, this was leaf in action. Like this was, this was the epitome of leaf as we kind of learned and unpacked that.
0: Yeah. And we'll certainly touch on the, the leaf framework, L E A F in a few moments here. Do you want to add anything to that, Lori, in reference to how the seeds were treated?
1: Yeah, it was actually the buds, different part of the plant. Oh, it was the buds. But they contain a really rich resin. And so this is another interesting part of that story and the weaving of Indigenous and Western knowledges where, like, I'm a chartered herbalist trained in the Western herbal tradition. And Tracy Healy is in her own journey of becoming an Indigenous plant mentor. So she understands... plants from a different point of view and the way she learns about the plants is different than the way i did science textbooks anatomy what the chemical constituents are but we have we both learned we go to the same stretch of the river down near the Musqueam reserve in vancouver and we both collect poplar buds at the same time of year from the same stretch of the river and we each had a jar of exactly the same thing sitting there (laughs) Project Tracy said, "Well, I'd really like to bring in my poplar bud salve. I've had it, I've had it um, infusing for you know eight months." And I said, "Oh, me too. You know, we shared. Where do you collect it from? Oh, it's great. Oh, hey, me too. Okay." And so we brought these things in that we were both making from different knowledge bases. We combined them together. We made the salve. Her method was much more loosey goosey than mine. Like she was just like, oh no, like this much, this much. And I was like, you know, with my Western way, trying to measure everything and wanting to (laughs) make sure it fit into a certain number of containers and, you know, getting really anxious about it. What about the kids that aren't at the table with us? She's like, it's fine. Like they're, don't worry. Right. So I learned so much from working with her. And then, you know, I was able to explain that when you put the salve on your skin, and it crosses the dermis, it becomes salicylic acid, which is like a topical application of aspirin, right? It's like um mm-hmm. aspirin cream. So, you know, we were we were swapping back and forth. And again, like coming to the similar place, but from these totally different backgrounds and perspectives. And it's such a joy to work together because there's so we have so much in common, although we see things from a different Place, right? There is so much commonality there. And it's a beautiful thing when you have these diverse perspectives coming together. You learn so much from each other, even if you're doing something you think you already know something about. You don't know everything, right? Until you look at it from someone else's point of view.
0: I love that. That's the kind of quote that usually starts the chapter of a book.
1: (laughs) Really? (laughs) Perfect.
3: Talking with Green Teachers is produced by Green Teacher, a registered charity in Canada that has been enhancing environmental education since 1986. By taking out a subscription, you can join our global network of passionate environmental educators, receive each issue of our quarterly magazine, and gain exclusive access to our vast archive of webinars and magazine-back issues. All proceeds go back into the organization to support our vision of helping each successive generation of young learners become more environmentally literate than the last. To learn more, visit greenteacher.com! Kamosen bug has faced various threats, including development pressures, climate change, and invasive plants. Restoring the bug to its present healthier state has involved the collective efforts of many committed volunteers.
0: Well, let's get into the LEAF framework. So it is an acronym, L-E-A-F, and you are guided by that at Lord Bing Secondary School, at least with some of your learners. So let's unpack that framework.
1: Yeah. So the Leaf framework—it's an acronym, and it stands for leadership, environment, action projects, and First Peoples principles of learning. And these are sort of four branches of an approach that we were we were working on as a collaborative inquiry. So bringing together a pod of secondary school teachers to figure out how we could embed more environmental and outdoor learning into our classrooms, which are in a really structured traditional school timetable. And also, our inquiry group was very concerned with seeing more Indigenous ways of knowing and being and more Indigenous perspectives and resources being woven across subjects throughout the whole of the school. And every time we explored a certain outdoor or environmental education program in our Vancouver district... Um, you know it looked like it was you know it was half in class, half out or it was cohorted or it was a model. It would never work in our school. We already had a fine arts cohort. there's too much pressure on the timetable, so now I'm talking a little bit about some of these barriers right yeah. that we were finding I think a lot of outdoor environmental educators, if you work in a very traditional educational setting. You feel really boxed in, like it is hard to get out and, and get out, especially if you know that class isn't isn't put right beside your prep time or something. And then you're giving up your prep time to go outdoors and it, it becomes really onerous. So eventually the leaf, this leaf idea of weaving together environmental learning, facilitating our students' action projects, and then teaching them how to look at their learning and place it alongside the first peoples principles of learning and so well i want to do this thing but like how does that how does that work how is it indigenous oh okay what is this the first peoples principles gave us that really nice framework that started to give it structure and if you look inside the first peoples principles like the very first one is learning ultimately supports the well being of the self the family the community the land the spirits and the ancestors And the second one is learning is holistic, reflexive, reflective, experiential and relational, focused on connectedness, reciprocal relationships and a sense of place. These are the first two first people's principles of learning. And I recognize that this set of principles was uh, developed by um, the First Nations Education Steering Committee in British Columbia. It's not pan-Indigenous or anything like that. But Joe Crona has said, these are really just principles of learning. Like this is what education should be like and feel like. And so when we looked at those, we went, hey, these principles over here do support outdoor and environmental learning. These principles over here that also lend themselves to wellness and holistic ways of of learning and, and different types of more transdisciplinary modes of education, these support environmental education and outdoor education and vice versa. The experiential nature of going out and learning on the land also supports and facilitates the inclusion of indigenous perspectives. So when we found this mutual, mutually beneficial piece of the puzzle, the LEAF framework was that was it. it we were like, okay, these support one another. So it was really the leaning into the first people's principles of learning that consolidated the framework for teachers. And so it's the same place I start when I have a student that wants to do a leaf project. I pull out the first people's principles and I say, okay, well, have you seen these? Do you know what they are? Let's start here because they support what it is that we want to encourage in our schools, right? Which is that capacity for caring about the environment and also the ability to build those leadership skills in our students that give them the confidence to step out in the world and take action for things that they care about right and that's the leadership piece and again the first people's principles just they articulate it so clearly and they're so it, they're so encouraging to work with so i think that's uh you know a really key piece for us is those principles
0: yeah and i see chad nodding look like you want to add on top of that
2: i yeah i also i really um think that it The first people's principles learning when we're weaving it into the into the LEAF acronym. It also allows um, students to maybe reach down inside and almost pull out something that's already there, which is like that. I would almost say it's that innate, innocent understanding that. We we all come from a relationship-based value system with land. It's only through our, and I don't want to I don't want to label um, western Western ways of um, knowing and being, but if when we're infusing the First People's principles, we're really we're really having the children kind of um, explore or or just dis- rediscover or discover that relationship-based feeling that they have with the land the water the animals the sky around them right and that they these these children um and as as they're getting older they, they're they really gaining an understanding as to the plight that's happening with with our mother earth right now and so um we know that this that this kind of western way of um bringing our children up it, it's not It's not really working. It's not serving the needs of the collective. It's serving the needs of the few, um, whether that's corporate, whether that's a a capitalistic view. And so really having these children develop relationship-based ways of knowing and being as to ownership ways of of knowing and being, um, I I think that these children, we're we're providing them a platform. We're we're providing them a space and a time for them to start to and we're empowering them for them to start thriving on 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 how they want to really be a part of change or how they really want to see their their mother earth become healthy
1: again
0: and before we started recording you mentioned that administration at your school has been very supportive and has that been the same with colleagues
1: yes it has been people are really supportive of the concept of leaf. Yeah. but they don't quite understand the execution of, oh, oh, it sounds wonderful. We love the idea of weaving these things together. How does it work, right? How do you do it? What do you, What do you? as a colleague, like, I love your ideas. I've had colleagues come up and embrace me after telling them what LEAP is and say, thank you, this sounds like it makes so much sense. Tell me what to do, right? And so yeah. that, that idea about the structure was problematic. And that the administrators were like, I think this is a great idea. Can you please stand up and say this in front of staff? They would give me airtime and they would say, just let me know what you need. Do you need a half day of release time to write something or make a presentation? And that happened a couple of times. So, you know, uh, we presented to senior management in our district and to other local districts around and at the uh, classrooms to communities conference and things like that. So, admin's always been really supportive and really likes the idea. Our district has also like given a lot of uh, verbal support but there's no change to existing structures. There's no funding, right? There's no uh, giving uh, me a block to run it or or nothing like that. So we were really stuck in a traditional structure. So our starting point with the LEAF was to create um, a certificate program and it has really clearly defined criteria So the students have to demonstrate learning and growth in their leadership skills. They have to be able to clearly articulate how their project connects to the environment. And by environment, we were really talking about place-based. So it's not always totally related to a specific natural environment. For Mm -hmm. example, we had a project that was done in an art gallery showcasing works about human relationships with the environment. So there's a clear link, right? Has to be an action they take so it can be documented like I did. So there's there's some active doing there. It's not just an academic paper. And then the students, when they present their learning, finally, they have to be able to stand up and articulate clearly how the first people's principles of learning connect back to their project work and how those were applied for them in their learning process. So we're really strengthening that that piece and that capacity in our students, which I love, but we have kept the LEAF certificate totally elective. So students can self-select to do it if they're interested. And historically at our high school, they would come and see me or um, two or three of my other teaching colleagues that worked in the collaborative inquiry with us. And yeah, we started working with Chad as well. He was supporting a student last year uh, who was working on learning the teachings of the drum, right? And building her leadership capacities and anchoring that in her school community, which was the place, right? That was her environment.
2: And can I add, Lori?
1: Yeah, I was going to say, we usually have like just a few of these projects going off each year. But yeah, Chad, go ahead, add in. Yeah. Just especially in, in for that for the example of the student that
2: we had that really um and she she chose the leaf um project for her drumming i I think it 's important that to note that she had challenges personal challenges um, circumstantial challenges s- social challenges and by and by bringing in the connection uh, and and she she um she has indigenous ancestry. Um, and so really, um, when we brought in, um, when we, we did a, we did a drum making project and up until that point, she was, um, very, um, withdrawn socially from many aspects of the school. But when we came, when we did the drum, when we, when we made the drums and and she, she, she barely showed up, but when she got in there, Lori and I got to witness a transformation that happened before our eyes and that was this young woman just immediately she was attracted to the drum and to the process of making it and she connected with the materials and she learned about the the materials the wood the hide of the elk the sinew and it brought forth something in her that I that I believe that I I I really know that was um very ancestral that was in her dna and she came out of her shell she made her drum like i've never seen i've seen many drums being made and she made a beautiful beautiful drum and but she wasn't done there she and then when she was done she got up and she started going around to her to the other classmates and she started helping them to make their drums and what that did was like, the just that connection to culture. It, it really, it, it awoken something up in her and she really started thriving. She started connecting with the students. She became a teacher there in her own right it, within that that little time frame, and so what she did from there is she actually she wanted to do the leaf project, and she wanted to um, learn more about the drum, and that's where we brought in um, our district vice principal, Davida Marsden, who's a drum knowledge keeper, and she then started to learn, so we are incorporating the first people's principles into the project right there. And she then learned, learned with myself and Davida. And then she facilitated, she then in turn facilitated the drum making project with our, some of our Indigenous and non-Indigenous students. And to me, that was such, I got to witness such a personal growth from that student. And it, it was absolutely beautiful.
0: Wow, that's inspiring. I know that's a word we overuse a lot in today's world, but that truly is inspiring.
2: It was powerful.
0: Hey, it's Ian. I'm just letting you know that a subscription to Green Teacher also includes access to our massive and fast-growing archive of 500-plus ready-to-use activities, lesson plans, and articles. The recording of each new webinar goes into the archive too, and there are 125 of those and counting. To save you time, everything is organized by topic and age group. Learn more by visiting greenteacher.com slash subscribe. We also have special rates available for bulk orders from your school, board, district, faculty of ed, or organization. As always, all proceeds go back into the nonprofit.
3: Re-establishing various pieces of sphagnum mass has been central to the restoration of comosin bug. This has been made possible by the removal of non-bug species.
0: So this was done with secondary school students, how could this kind of thing be incorporated with younger students?
1: You know, we've talked a bit about like the plant walk that Chad and I did, and the and the medallions that we made, and we've talked. So Chad was just sharing the story about the um, the student completing a leaf project and taking up the drum, the teachings of the drum, and becoming a leader in the in those teachings. And so, you know, that's really what it it, it can look like for a student, and it can be really you know, empowering. And and we're talking about a grade 12. So the leaf certificate program existing at the grade 12 level. But what we realized in doing the project with the plant medallions, we like to use the word reconciliation that we were taking. And it was because Chad brought in a project, he called it the orange shirt project. And he tells a really powerful story. And then asks the students to, you know, if they want to pledge to learn more and take an action, then they write their name on an orange shirt. And these are also part of the healing boxes that he's gifting to the residential school survivors. And when we started working on this, Chad and I started talking, and I said, I think this is us, like as educators, we're doing a LEAF project together. And it was actually Chad's leadership on this project. And t- he did aspects of this project with elementary school students in elementary school classrooms
2: from K to K to 12.
1: Yeah. And facilitated ceremonies at all of these schools and was working in the secondary area. So it was working with ourselves as educators with the framework as well. And our jointly delivered pro D was two teachers and it was, it was K to 12. And we basically said at younger grades, you can take this framework, but you have to do the internal work. Like the teachers have to sit with the first people's principles, And then depending on the age group that you're working with, how teacher-led is it? And how student-led is it? Or is it co-designed, right? Between teachers and students, like here's an issue we wanna tackle. How do, how do the first people's principals show us how to do that? How does it connect to the environment? Like, so there's a certain degree of facilitation a teacher can do, and it really depends on the age level. But I can see that Chad would like to it,
0: uh, yeah, jump in
1: in my in in one of my elementary schools, a grade
2: um six and a grade seven class really, um I went into their class, and I was talking about the fact that, um and it was all it it, it got some media attention for a while when we're talking about the um not having um accessible clean drinking water. Um, in many of our communities, just like my community up north, um, we're still we still have to bring in bottled water to my community. And so I unpacked that for the class. And little, little did I know that several weeks later that the teacher and the students collaborated and they all wrote their own very personal letters to Justin Trudeau demanding that more action be taken for our indigenous communities to have just like to have clean drinking water. And I it's it, when I when they when they showed me the letters, it, I got unbelievably um emotional because that was leaf right there. Like that was leaf in work right there. And and then I had two students come up and say we would like to um we would like to actually take some action. Um, and we we would that was our already action. We would like to take further action. We'd like to team up with you, Chad, and create a project where we could um raise money and donate to this plan that we have. And so I sat with two um grade six um girls, and what we came up with is we we actually decided to make some drums. Which we did, and now're we 're going to have them painted, and then we 're going to auction them off for charity, and the proceeds are going to go um and this is loosely and this is this is leadership run by these students by the class, by these two students they're they're what they 're going to do is they 're going to auction these um drums off once they 're painted, um and the proceeds are going to go towards an organization that helps with um clean drinking water for our indigenous communities, and so right there that was uh, that was completely leaf in action. Um, on like it's so collaborative it was so it was it was beautiful.
1: So I think we talk about two things we talk about that we talk about LEAF projects like that and then we also talk about LEAF as pedagogy right for teachers when we're talking to teachers so it's sort of like these two ways of using the framework. Yeah
0: and with those examples I mean it's very clear that this is far from some esoteric framework i mean there's always the cynics out there that say "Ah, oh, this this is just all esoteric and academic speak but i mean this is real life stuff happening on the ground for people led by the students i mean it doesn't get better than that
2: it, yeah you're you're right yeah.
0: hi there you might recognize my voice from such podcasts as the one you're listening to right now Speaking of podcasts, Green Teacher is involved in another one. It's called Earthy Chats and, you know what, how about I let my co-host Jade harvey Barrel tell you the rest? Take it away, Jade.
4: Thanks, Ian. Hello, all. Indeed, we'd love for you to join us for Earthy Chats, our new podcast where we've come together to spend time picking the brains of the brightest and best in environmental education. Like Busy Bees, we'll be cross-pollinating ideas across our range of interests and knowledge bases to give you the inside scoop on what's new, who's doing it, and how you can do it too. All of the experts featured on the show have resources available Canada-wide in the Outdoor Learning Store. That's Canada's non-profit Outdoor Resource Store. You can check out the range of educator and student resources available at www.outdoorlearningstore.com. So, whether you're a teacher, educator, parent, or just a general nature geek, there'll be something for you to sink your teeth into. Did I cover everything there, Ian?
0: Definitely. Thanks, Jade. So yeah, Earthy Chats. Check it out on your favourite podcast app.
3: Today, Comocin bug is home to stable populations of other true bug species like Round-leafed Sundew, Labrador Tea, Velvet-leafed Blueberry, and Arctic Starflower.
0: So many great initiatives happening within this framework, so much momentum, what are the next steps?
1: So one thing that I've learned through this process is, it's like uh, student learning and teacher learning, it's sort of parallel, right? Like mm. you kind of you have to sort of help teachers sort of comprehend how to work in this way so that leaf can spread and you could sort of hear by the stories that Chad and I are telling that what happens when you start to work this way it's like a really organic branching that happens like the orange shirt project turning into the healing medallions turning into the plant walks which became a salve and then it all comes back together in this beautiful box it's like this amazing sort of growing regenerative thing so what we're doing now is we've got uh, the certificate program, like a, a nice structure for that with uh, criteria and a certificate that gets printed and a reflection cycle that happens with the students. And so we've got lots of nice evidence of student learning and the kids that do it really enjoy it. Um, so we're trying to bring this idea to more teachers. So we've developed a workshop and training for teachers that we just sort of piloted in October at the C2C conference. We're starting to develop a website is not live yet, but it is coming just so people can have follow up information, clickable, like readable, maybe get the, the criteria for how to do a LEAF certificate project and things like that. And we're going to continue to support our students. We're g- going to continue to just talk to them about the LEAF framework and support those people, those students that are curious about this kind of work who want to go down this Avenue with their learning, because I think in keeping with the spirit of LEAF, leaving it really elective and letting people come to it when they're ready, when they're curious, we keep ourselves in that position to continue to support this, to continue to support the projects for the kids in the schools. And I've moved into a district position now, which puts me in a position where I can support it for more students at more schools. That's and great. Chad also has a district position. So he's in that position too, where he can do it with his younger students and his older students. So we're, we're just going to keep doing this work the way we have. And then, you know, as we have time develop further training for educators.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it it will grow from there too from um, our conversations with with um, different departments um and then with Lori providing such beautiful um, templates in essence um i I always I like to think that the acronyms are are they're, they're innate they're embedded in us and many of our learners and our educators as but it's it's when the opportunity to really kind of look look at the um, the LEAF acronym, I think a lot of um, educators and students, depending on how old they are, they're like, oh, yes, that's so intriguing, or I, I'm already engaged in that, and we can tie all of these together, and it's so fulfilling, and, and it's the, the outcomes are beautiful, not just for myself, but for everything and everyone around me.
0: I can't wait to hear more. I mean, this is it's just shouting at me to have a part two of this conversation down the road to see where 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 things go next Mm. well thank you so much chad and laurie for taking the time today it's already dark where i am fortunately you still have a couple hours of light left and i'm a little bit jealous
2: probably about an hour
0: (laughs) yeah yeah a good an hour tops
2: yeah well thank you so much ian for having us um very honored
1: yeah thanks for giving us some time and space to talk about leaf with you and hopefully share the concepts with other educators that are working around similar barriers it's not easy to make this kind of work happen in traditional school settings so yeah there's still a lot of work to be done and it's all also you know it's regional and it's contextual so what works in one place doesn't work in others and the more we can share our ideas the more we grow Indeed. Grow more leaves.
0: Grow more leaves or leaves, however you wish, a <laughs> great way to end off on.
1: Each
3: plant, animal and fungus in Comosin Bug is part of an intricate ecological community. By exploring this wetland through a lens of two-eyed seeing, learners can deepen their relationship with both the bug's living things and its non-living entities like water, air and soil. Talking with Green Teachers is co-hosted by Ian Shanahan and me, Sofia Vargasnessi. Ian is the show's writer and editor. Logo design is by Devin Terrien. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or iTunes to get instant access to each new episode. If you really like the show, give us a rating too. We can also be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us in this episode. We'll chat again soon.
1: bogs and swamps and i'm so excited to read it
0: oh annie Pruel, isn't it
1: yeah did you read it
0: it just came out i haven't read it yet but it's on my list and it's about i think carbon sequestration and some of the ecological services of fen swamps and bogs
1: exactly yeah so i'm very excited to read